whether left, right, and center. Everyone says they want peace, but too often they assume that uh, they need to achieve peace with a gun, an army, or a bomb to make sure that they could have the right kind of peace. Well, the War Resisters League is unique because they believe that there is no way to peace. Instead, peace is the way. Here to tell us about the War Resisters League West and the War Resisters League in general, and to give us a report back from the International War Resisters League conference, is Jim Haber. He is a coordinator with War Resisters League West, and uh, a he's the national representative uh, for War Resisters League and one of the delegates to the international conference. And uh, good morning, Jim. Yeah, hi. How are you this morning? All right. Nice to talk to you, Jared. You're, you're a real trooper for uh, taking time out from uh, your work at the kitchen, so we'll... Uh, we'll let you get right back to it as soon as possible. But um, could you begin by telling our listeners who may not be familiar with the War Resisters League, give us a general overview about them. Sure. War Resisters League was started in the U.S. like 1921, so shortly after World War One. War Resisters International was started in Europe. It's based in London, and both carry on to this day. Um, sort of as a, a pacifist response to the failure well, this was something I learned at the International Conference, that the, the socialists didn't succeed in stopping World War I, which really was about money, and there was, you know, there's no good reason for any war. That one was really about banking like so many of the others. And uh, some of the pacifist socialists decided to start something outside of the socialist movement, so they started War Resisters International. There are different sections around the world, different countries in the, the section of WRI in the U.S. is called the War Resisters League. And uh, we have locals also around the country and the Bay Area local. I'm up in San Francisco is War Resisters League West. And um, so we really don't see the utility of war. It's, it's meant to be a place where people who are not um, coming from one of the peace churches like the Quakers or the Mennonites or the Seventh-day Adventists, to traditional sort of refusers of, of armed conflict at all. But people outside of those communities that oppose war on philosophical or some, some less spiritual reason would have an advocate and a place to turn. One of the things that I like about the War Resisters League is that uh, it's not, as you said, it's not just a, a philosophical position. But you actually take that philosophical position to the next level through uh, through activism and outreach. Uh, I, I trust that listeners of this program are familiar with the War Resisters League because I talk about them a lot. But um, you know, what are some of the major campaigns? Uh, we could limit it maybe to you know the, the sure. current. Uh, major conflagrations in the world. You don't need to go back in, in, in history, but what are some of the campaigns that uh, uh, either War Resisters West or the national chapter have been involved in? Well, there's a big push um, trying to raise awareness about, um, as we call them, uh, the merchants of death or war profiteers in general. And so those are corporate profiteers, including arms manufacturers and traders, weapons manufacturers, um, the oil industry, chemical companies, uh, Halliburton and other mercenary and privatized companies, and also the military in general that, you know, they sell the army because uh, they can't convince people really that 
the cause is just. By and large, there are true believers that we need to um, relate to them. But many people, it's kind of an economic draft sort of thing. Um, so there's counter-recruitment that, that some of us are doing. There's war tax resistance that other groups are more active in. And there's uh, the GI rights hotline that War Resisters League chapters and the national office support and this anti-war profiteering, which even the War Resisters International has a, a large part of anti-war profiteer, and they have a big program called um, the Right to Refuse to Kill, which is supporting conscientious objectors all over the world in many countries where they're treated even harsher than they are here. You know, it's interesting because um, I teach uh, a course that, uh, that's called War, Peace, and Conflict. And one of the things that uh, I really try to emphasize to students is the idea of this, this military-industrial complex. And you know, certainly most people are aware of what, what Eisenhower said, but it isn't really until we start reading uh, statistics and numbers and see that it's really impossible now to make a distinction. There's no meaningful distinction between, say, the civilian population and, and the military, when you've got, uh, you know, 10% of the labor force, you know, directly involved in, in the military. And then when uh, one of the things that was so notable was, I believe it was in April or May of this past year, when uh, Rumsfeld and the Pentagon announced uh, which military bases were slated for closure, you suddenly had the Democrats speaking up and demanding that... Uh, you know, certain bases stay open because of the impact it would have in their congressional district. And so it was really hard to, you know, to close down this, this military industry. How do you communicate to people the need to move away from an entire way of life that's based on preparing for war? Well, it's, it is difficult because so much of the the rhetoric in the media is, is fear-based and promoting the sense of fear that uh, makes people want to have someone offer them a sense of security, even if it's illusory. Um, I try to use the rhetoric of our own Constitution and Declaration of Independence sometimes. Um, you know, I think that the attacking of civilians and the expendability of the civilian population in the eyes of, of, of policymakers and, and uh, corporations in general since they got their, their entity status in the late 1800s. I mean, it's, it's been about profit. It's been about expanding markets. It, it really hasn't been the altruism. And yet our founding documents have some, have some really um, powerful statements. You know, what is democracy? And how do we defend it, and, and how does the supposed defense of it undermine the very freedoms that we say we're defending? So trying to engage people with the vision of what the American dream could be or is supposed to be, sometimes that reaches people and they see how far we are from that and, and how militarism moves us further away from that. And that's something that's a challenge to the War Resisters League as a anti-militarist organization. We're not just anti-war. We're anti-militarist. And it's a little broader than that. And not everyone's going to be an anti-militarist or a pacifist. And so how do we work in coalition? 
how do we further that? So trying to broaden people's perspective and also what it means to have defense and what would protect us and are people really threatened by an invasion here and yet we've got our armed forces on the other side of the world. I want to remind listeners, they're in tune to KUCI in Irvine. This is Justice or Just Us. We're speaking with Jim Haber from the War Resisters League West. I think that's a really good point about making a distinction between a distinction between being anti-war versus uh, versus anti-militarism. Um, we uh, want to make sure we get in all of the information. You just got back from, was it Germany? Yeah. And this was an international conference of uh, the War Resisters League? Well, the War Resisters International, actually every four years, organizes a conference uh, somewhere. And this year it was in Germany. Four years ago it was in Ireland. And I think four years before that it was, I can't remember where it was. It's not always in Europe. <laughs> um, but um, So what were some was, of the most important uh, you know, lessons? Well, over or... 200 people came. It was really interesting to me, people from all over the world, including asylum seekers because of conscientious objection from Eritrea and people doing nonviolent organizing in the Sudan. And, um, you know, we struggled to come out with a statement against what Israel has done and Hezbollah to uh, in Israel and Lebanon and Palestine and because that was just unfolding during the conference in the end of July and we felt we needed to make a statement and um, you know we wanted to you know all the violence is wrong you know we don't make distinctions between this bomb and that bomb because they all move us further away from the ultimate reconciliation we need that we're working for and um, so that was an interesting process to come up with that that was a pacifist statement and yet didn't, couldn't be used like so many balanced statements as a way of kind of trying to equate the violence of, you know, the Palestinian resistance to that of, of Israel and its disproportionate use. So it's an interesting balance to say, well, and I'm Jewish and I'm active in Jewish Voice for Peace and I'm not a hater of any country, but I, I just don't believe in religious states that you can have democracy in that. So it's interesting just from my own perspective, too, and being in Germany as this is unfolding and the history of anti-Semitism there and its play. I could go on at, at length about that. We don't really have the time, but it was very interesting for me as a Jewish American to be in Germany as Israel was escalating everything in, in ways that even my family in Israel were really aghast. Yeah, it's it's a, a few weeks ago we had a representative from the... Uh, uh, Refuser Solidarity Network. Uh -huh. It's uh, you know, a group that provides legal support to the Israeli refuseniks. And uh, I myself am also Jewish, and uh, I also don't practice and so forth. But nevertheless, one is, is always, I suppose, a, a cultural Jew. And it's, it's very difficult because I also try not to take sides. I mean, weapons are nonpartisan. So whether they come yeah. from, from the Israeli side of uh, the border or the Lebanese or, or, or Gaza or what have you, I mean, it, it really doesn't matter. So I, I think that that's, uh, that must have been very uh, interesting and emotional for you. It really, it really was. And just going to different Jewish museums and cemeteries and, and going like, you know, Europe and, and Christian Europe in particular, white Christian Europe is responsible for centuries of anti-Semitism. It wasn't just the Shoah and World War II and Hitler and Germany. And, you know, ultimately, who's made to pay for it? You know, the Palestinians. And there's always been some Jews in Israel, 
or Palestine at the time, and there were even Zionists who were against the forming of a state, um, but believed that if Jews wanted to live in 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 the Holy Land, that you know they could and did and and could coexist. But then you know the the militarists, the more Eurocentric um, Zionists, really dominated and and played with the colonialists rather than with the the Palestinians who were already there. One other thing about the conference, I just want to say it was nice that it was five days or so, and I could meet people over the course of time and also get to know people better. So I appreciated the length of it. And there were these theme groups in the morning where we met with the same people in the morning throughout and developed some ideas. So global military intervention was one theme, and nonviolent citizens' interventions. And another theme group looked at how subtly military presence is in society and how do we combat that. Another one focused on nonviolent strategy and globalization. We were really also looking at the economic globalization, the anti-globalization movement, and and working that with the nonviolence and seeing where the, our anti-militarism and the, the, the anti-globalization movements could work better together. What was the mood like? I mean, despite what was unfolding during, uh, you know, in, in the Mideast with Israel, uh, Palestine, and, and Lebanon, certainly things are not going well um, for, for Bush and Blair. And while I know that when things aren't going well for Bush and Blair, that also means that things are not going well for the people of Afghanistan and Iraq, nevertheless, there, there had to have been some open recognition that uh, you know, public opinion is, is on our side. I, I'm just curious, what was the mood like? Well, the mood, I mean, it was sobering um, as things seem worse. And some of the older activists kind of saying, you know, I don't remember it being this bad. And I get that just from non-political people here talking about how in their 80 or 85 years, things seem worse than ever right now. And that's that's sobering and, and a call to us to redouble our efforts. But, um, you know, there was a sense we need to be strategic, we need to be active, we need to come up. Well, you asked about the mood. I mean, there was a sense of a little bit of, um, I think we were mutually inspired by each other. That's something that large gatherings like this have that effect of charging people up. Um, coming together gives us hope um, because we realize we're not alone. Um, certainly, the worsening of war and situations is sobering. And there was acknowledgment that, well, more people are for us, but how do we mobilize them continues to be the question. I mean, the whole strategy, needing a strategy, and, and yet I would challenge anyone who supports violent means of resistance to come up with a, their strategy and articulate that well, too. Um, but, you know, we need that as nonviolent activists and revolutionaries. We need to keep developing our strategy and, and what is practical actions that we can support and encourage people to do that aren't just symbolic. So there's a, a little bit of we're still trying to find, you know, what that button is that will really motivate this public opinion that you, that you rightly mentioned. We're speaking with Jim Haber from War Resisters League West, and we're just about out of time, and I want to give you an opportunity to get back to your work there. But uh, just a couple last questions. First of all, what is your assessment of the uh, 
effectiveness uh, on however you want to measure it of the, uh, I don't want to just say the anti-war movement because I think you made an important distinction, but maybe the peace movement or the anti-militarism movement today. Well, you know, we're up against uh, an embedded media, and it's not just embedded in Iraq and Afghanistan. It's embedded in the White House um, where press releases and statements count as news, even if they're not true um, or misleading at least. Um, and that makes it, that makes it really hard. Um, and the prevalence of violence in society, the removal of, of economic development in our own society makes, it, makes people more desperate and it makes it harder to reach people with a message of, of peace and reconciliation. I mean, with, we keep building prisons, this whole fear thing. We need to keep countering fear in many ways throughout our lives. And, you know, it's, the War Resisters League is, a, is overall a, a secular organization, although some of the most active people are Catholic workers and people of faith, and yet we all really are, think it's precious that WRL is actually not a religious-based organization like the Fellowship of Reconciliation or the American Friends Service Committee. But War Resistance League is secular, and yet there's got to be something about faith that we have and or hope that we can make a better world. If we can't stop war, we can reduce the killing it, you know, that's going on. And we need to hold on to that even if we don't see the success. You know, it's funny because I think, uh, you know, we had both mentioned uh, being Jewish, and yet I think both of us work with uh, active Catholic worker movements. So, you know, go figure. Yeah, I know. But, you know, some of them, they're doing the best work against um, torture and Guantanamo. Definitely. And, you know, in, in the last couple of days, we really need to be on guard and call our senators as, as much as that seems like sometimes it doesn't worth, isn't worth too much. But they're looking to remove habeas corpus retroactively for people involuntary detention. And um, I'll forward you an article by Kate Raphael, another Jewish friend of mine, very active with um, Act Against Torture, that she wrote, we've got to make these comparisons to Germany in the 30s because it's seeming more and more real here. And, and, and ironically, uh, you know, as we need to make the, the connections between Germany, uh, you've got a, an administration that's trying to suggest that anyone who criticizes or questions is uh, also linked to the 30s in the sense of appeasement, which just makes my stomach turn. But uh, yeah. anyway, we've got uh, yeah. just about a minute or so left, and uh, we'll definitely have to have you back. But could you tell our listeners a bit about the Stop the Merchants of Death conference coming up? Sure, that's going to be in St. Paul, Minneapolis. I'm sorry, St. Paul, Minnesota. Um, I can't make it. I'm really sorry, but it's going to be, um, you can go to warresisters.org slash S-M-O-D or just warresisters.org and you'll see it. And um, trying to get the grassroots activists together. I mean, I think that a lot of conservative people would really, they're outraged at the profiteering that's happening and the spiking in oil prices and all that. They're turning huge profits. And and at what cost? You know, we live in this society that seems like we're not at war, even though we are in so many places. And I think reaching people through saying these people, these other people are making a mint off of it, um, that's wrong. And, and maybe that's the way to motivate people in this real practical 
way um, enlightened self-interest and say, well, we're sacrificing our children and our livelihoods and these people are making money. That's wrong. Let's stop it. And it's September 29th through October 2nd. Uh, I'm sorry you won't be there because, fortunately, I will be able to attend this year. Oh, good for you. So we'll, we'll have to talk and uh, compare notes and so forth. Anyway, the website is warresisters.org. Is that correct? Yeah, warresisters.org. And um, if you want information about the international, um, you could go to wri-irg.org. IRG is... Uh, War Resisters International uh, in Spanish, the uh, initial. So it's wri-irg.org for more information about the international. Great. And we are out of time. Jim Haber will definitely have you back. And it was good to see you in San Francisco. It was great to see you again, Jared. All you, the best. Thank you. Down there in the Southland. Take care. Bye now. And